And the mission basically was Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus said, or came near, and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in our mission statement, we say that we're dedicated to discipleship, and we want to be dedicated to discipleship. We want to, as, as kind of the second part of, of the verses 18 through 20 here in Matthew 28, says, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That we would be teaching people about our faith. Now, is it safe for me to assume that everyone in this room is a believer this morning? I would say it's pretty safe that everyone at some point has given their life to Christ. And when you give your life to Christ and you say, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my Savior, we buy in, and I hate to use that word, but, but we take hold of everything that is kingdom. We buy basically into the culture of kingdom. That we say we are a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus, you are the, the commander. You are the one that's going to lead us. You're the one that directs us. We don't stand there and say, well, I want that, that, and that. We take on the fullness of what God's called us to. We've heard the Great Commission many times, that we're to go and make disciples, that we are to teach them everything that, that we have understood and everything that we are understanding and the things that we will learn is what discipleship is. But I also want to differentiate, bring the mission statement back up, Josiah. That when you look at the mission statement here, you don't see the word evangelism in it at all. We're intentional about that because I believe and we believe that discipleship embodies evangelism. You know, a lot of times we want to say evangelism is here until someone gives their life to Christ, and that's where the point of discipleship starts, and it goes forward from there. Discipleship is encompassing all of that. Evangelism falls into discipleship, and I believe the teaching, what we commonly would refer to as discipleship, falls into discipleship. You know, I was sharing with my neighbor, you with my neighbor that I talked to for, for about an hour this week, and, and, and we were talking about a couple different things, and, you know, kids came up at one point, and he was talking about something with, with his kids, and, and I just shared what, what we do with our kids sometimes. That's discipleship, because it's based on a biblical value. Talked about prayer. We talked about different things. Am I, am I sharing Christ with him? Yes. Am I teaching him my, what I believe? Yes. Maybe not directly, but indirectly. So discipleship involves evangelism and discipleship together. It's not, well, let's evangelize, evangelize until this person gets here, and then I will disciple them from there. I've heard people say that before. You evangelize them, and I'll disciple them. But we're all called to discipleship, which means sharing our life and then teaching as well, leading someone closer to the Lord. It's done in team a lot of times. You know, I'm, I may impart to someone something that gets the ball rolling and them getting closer to Christ. But then someone else may come in and say something, and they pray and pray on salvation. And they say, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then someone else may come and begin to disciple them. That's the beauty of community. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. But I want us to understand that, that evangelism and discipleship go together. You know, I believe we're called to live intentionally, which means that we are to build relationship with others in order that, that we may tell them more and more about Christ. 
You know, last year we began to talk about discipleship in some different ways. And I said, what would it look like if we all took two people and began to disciple them? Now, some of us have, have taken hold of that and begin to, to do that, to begin to meet with people, um, you know, evangelism and discipleship, whatever that looks like, and begin to impart life, what you have learned, imparting it to someone else. Last year, I talked about inadequacy. That sometimes we feel that we're inadequate. How can I teach someone else? How can I share when I've got all this stuff in my life that that's God hasn't redeemed or God hasn't done this to or, or I'm still processing? And I shared a story about when we were in China that you know, when we had new believers, we said, look, if someone had been a believer for two weeks and there was someone who got saved that day, we said, the one that's been saved for two weeks, you're now discipling the one that just got saved because you've read probably three or four more chapters of the Bible. But if the one who just got saved today passes you, you're now discipled by them. So we're basically saying, take the knowledge that you have from the Word and begin to impart that to someone else. See, God doesn't want us necessarily, I wouldn't say he doesn't want us, but he doesn't require us to have PhDs or, or theological degrees or, or to, to have all this experience before we start sharing Christ with someone else, before we start imparting to someone else. Everyone in this room is able to do that. Children do this all the time. You know, I think I may have shared this, but um, when Ella had her birthday party back in January, we were at Krispy Kreme with, I think, 10, 8, and 9-year-olds, and it was wild. Um, and the guy behind the counter making donuts, he came over and started sharing the gospel with us through what was it the Krispy Kreme hat or something or the he tore it up somehow and he began sharing the gospel and he brought up the word hell and two or three of the girls said what's hell and Addie looked at them and said that's the place you go if you don't know Jesus when you die <laughs> and I was thinking oh my gosh it's true right but man and we were and, and a couple of the girls were like what and you could see their face and and Carrie Carrie kind of came in and um share the complete gospel message in some ways and ask them, what do you believe? Tell me about your faith and what you believe and all that. But, man, kids shoot it straight sometimes, right? And you say a kid is inadequate of, of discipling someone or sharing the gospel. We have a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of understanding of God, but we are fearful to tell others. Think about that. Why are we fearful? Maybe what they'll say, maybe the way they will react, and so forth. We'll come back and talk about that at, at another point. But last year, what we talked about is what would it look like if we had two people that we begin to impart our life to, just simply sharing what we know based on testimony, based on the Word of God, based on experience. What would that look like? And then training those two people to do likewise. And so it created a multiplication effect from 2 to 4 to 8 to 16 and just continues to go forth that way. We only have to pour into two people to make an impact, a great impact in this world. But I would say that most of us, out of fear or in, inadequacy or excuses or busyness or, or different things, we, we are not doing that. You know, I know at times there's people that I'm pouring into and there's other times that I'm not. Um, and there's, there's reasons that come up from time. Well, I'm busy. It's just a season where there's a lot going on. But yet I can still impart in those seasons. And so for us, I want us to come back and look at what does it mean for us to be dedicated to discipleship? But I think one thing that holds us from really stepping into maybe a discipleship type relationship where we are the one that's discipling is because relationships are messy. 
Now, I know there's a lot of kids that we have, and, and I, and I want to say this, that I believe that our number one disciple should be our children, should be our family. And, and, but we also have to make sure that's not an excuse not to reach out to others, not to disciple others. So pri- priority is family. You know, I have four, my four greatest disciples are my children. Those are the ones I'm going to focus on first and foremost. But also I'm going to be focused on others, two or three others as well. And so I think likewise we can do that. So, but why aren't we doing it? Sometimes I think it's because relationships are difficult and messy. Um, I read a couple quotes it says, no relationship ever delivers as one dreams in the beginning. Fantasy often collides with reality, and reality bites. Some of our deepest hurts have been through relationships. At times, we wish we could live in isolation. Other times, we're glad we don't. You know, relationships are some of the most fulfilling things that exist, but also some of the most painful things also. We've all been hurt by relationships. We've also hurt people as well. So, so we've lived on both sides of that. But yet, God calls us into relationship with others. He calls us to, to be in relationship. We think about the patience that God has had with us. We sin. We sin probably a lot this week. Maybe, I don't want to say you've sinned a lot, but if you think about it and begin, you know, thoughts or actions or lack of actions and, or lack of thoughts or compassion and so forth. If we begin to count those up, we have fallen short of the glory of God just in seven days. But yet he says, I lay my life down for you. There's a patience that is there. Thus, relationships, we have to understand, is part of the process that goes forward. Really three things I want to share this morning, maybe three excuses with relationships, is is when we talk about discipleship and relationships, first, it involves others, and so most of the time we say it affects my time. Ephesians 5, 2 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love, as the Messiah, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. See, this is how God, it's how Jesus lived. He was in relationship with people, but yet he was sacrificial. He laid his life down, not for his own glory, but for the glory of the Father. Luke 8 says, As they sailed, they were sailing across, Jesus fell asleep in the boat, and a squall came down on the lake. So the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Now, Jesus is sleeping during this time. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Then Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and they subsided, and all was calm. Have you ever been just woken up out of a deep sleep? I mean, most of us are not happy, right? You, you may get a little bit grouchy or whatever. See, Jesus was used to being interrupted. He was used to not necessarily being his time, but being ministry time. And that's the way that, that he looked at it. You know, a lot of times we want discipleship my way, on my time, on my schedule, with people that are easy, people who think like me, people who, who may look like me, whatever. As long as it's easy, I will invest some time. When we look at Jesus, you know, yes, he invested time with a lot of people, but primarily with 12 and then with three. And these are the three disciples, or the 12. They, they, we, we see it throughout Scripture. They had their ups and downs. He could have easily given up with them, but yet he was always given them his full attention. He gave them tasks to do to build their character. He gave them ministry to do to build their confidence. But he was always available to them. He gave himself, and I'm not just referring to the cross, but he gave himself fully and completely to the disciples. You know, Matthew um, 16, he asked Peter, Peter, who do you say I am? You know, or he asked the disciples, and they're saying different things. But then Peter says, you're the Christ. 
And he said that revelation did not come by flesh and blood. It came by the Spirit of God, basically. If you read a few verses later, Jesus is rebuking Peter because Jesus tells him kind of the, the death he's going to die. And Peter said, no, may that ever be. And he's saying, get behind me, Satan. You know, discipleship and relationships, there's fruitfulness in it, but then there's sometimes where it gets a little bit messy. And I want to say this, that there is fruit, there are good things in relationships. There are more of those positive than probably the messiness that is there. But Jesus never gave up on the disciples. Second, as I've already mentioned, is that relationships are messy at times. Proverbs 14, verse 4, it says, Where there's no oxen, the feeding trough is empty, but an abundant harvest comes to the strength of an ox. I like the New Living Translation. It says, Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but, with, but you need a strong ox for a, for a large harvest. We don't like to invest in stuff that's going to be a little bit messy. You know, I remember with Josiah, the first child, and, and maybe with you who have children, your first child's been this way, is, you know, when you change those diapers, diapers are okay to about four, five, six months when they start eating more solid food. And then you get a little bit more smelly and stinky, and then there's, there's different things. And I don't want to go into too much detail. I don't want to gross anyone out or whatever. But, you know, that the first one, you know, you're, you're changing the diaper and you're gloved up. you got nose clips on. You're using, like, 30 wipes to wipe. And, and you know, there's a whole sanitation process that you, you have. But the second one, and you got it on your hands. you got it on your fingernails. You're like, this is, this is part of the process of growth and so forth. You know, sometimes because relationships we see and think they're going to be messy or because they have been in the past, we're just a little bit standoffish. But if we understand that that component, which I believe is a small component of relationships, is part of the process to growth, then it changes our perspective. You know, when you change diapers, it's a very small amount of time in the, in the life of a child. You spend more time playing with them, feeding them, putting them down to sleep, rocking them, all, all those things, which, again, is part of the process of growth. We have to understand that, that sometimes the hardness or the messiness, the challenge that is there in relationship, it's part of the growth process that God has for us and also for the other person. So we cannot give up on them. Third is um, it takes time for investment to bring returns. You know, Jesus spent a great amount of time with his disciples in the last days, if you think about it. He could have easily told Peter, hey, why don't you arrange a crowd of people and we'll have a healing crusade. He could have, he could have told John, go out and do this and we'll feed 25,000 this time. But he chose to spend the last time, the last little bit that while he was here on earth with his disciples. John 13 through 17 shows this. He could have been doing public ministry, but he spent time with them, investing with them, giving them the final game plan in some ways. And then as he's arrested, Peter betrays him three times. He just spent all this concentrated time with him. The other disciples almost followed him. They, they ran away. They, they, they left the city. They were afraid. But after three years and lots of prayer and teaching and spending this time, even in this moment, God knew, Jesus knew there was going to be an investment. And as Jesus was resurrected and as he came back and the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, we find in Acts 2 that Peter got up and he preached this sermon where over 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus that day. And if you continue to read forward just through probably the next four or five chapters, you can see there's a, there's a number of 5,000, and it says that more were added daily to them. These were the disciples who Jesus rebuked, who he sent out to do ministry, who in the last days denied him or ran away or whatever, but yet 
50 days later at Pentecost, they're standing up and they're proclaiming the gospel. The investment takes time for return to come sometimes. But yet, that's, the, that's the, the beauty of discipleship. You know, making disciples, it's difficult work. It's not easy. It means we have to be patient. It means we have to spend a lot of time in prayer. We have to display a lot of love, a lot of grace. And, of course, we have to um, teach truth as well. So the question to us, or to you, to me included when I say you, is who are we discipling? Who are those two people? You know, we talked about this a year ago. Who are those two people? Maybe there's one, and that's great. Is there another? Maybe there's, there's none, and, and there's, there's some excuses, there's some fears, there's some certain things. My encouragement is an encouragement. It's not to say, well, why haven't you done that? My encouragement is to say, hey, let's begin to say, let's do this. Let's find two people and begin to pour our lives into. We have neighbors. We have coworkers. We have friends who need to know more about Jesus. Some of them are not saved. Some of them do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they need someone walking beside them, being the light. Yes, we may be the light walking beside them, but sometimes we've got to be maybe a little bit more verbal. But then those that, that we know who, who maybe they gave their life to Christ a long time ago, but maybe, maybe they're not being discipled. Maybe they're not being poured into. They may be people we come alongside and begin to disciple as we traditionally know what discipleship or thought about discipleship is. But who are those two people? If we go back to our mission statement and we look at it, we want to be dedicated to discipleship. It means that we want to be thinking in our minds and our hearts, Lord, who do you have in my life that I begin to teach about your ways? The things that I have learned, the things I've learned not to do, how, what, how can I impart that? The things I have learned, the ways that I've learned to pray, the ways that I've learned to study the Word, the way that I've learned to worship, how can I impart that to someone else? We are all capable. Not any of us are inadequate. We are all adequately formed by God and given knowledge by God to tell others about Him. We're sons and daughters. You know, children, they know their parents, and they will tell, they will tell everything about their parents because they love their parents and you're excited. There's certain things maybe parents don't want others to know sometimes, but God's not that way, right? We're children of God. We should have that excitement inside of us as well to go and tell others about our Father our Heavenly Father, who Himself came to this earth and laid Himself down for us through the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. We've been commissioned as ministers of reconciliation. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak, to let our light shine. That's who we are. If the doors of our church closed, our community should feel the impact in all these areas, but particularly in terms of discipleship, in terms of reaching out and loving and caring for the people in this world. So, Lord, I pray this morning that we will be a men, that we'll be men and women, that we'll be a church that's dedicated to discipleship, Lord. Lord, I pray that, that, that things that, that we've thought of the past that, that, that may be incomplete or limited or in the box regarding evangelism and discipleship, Lord, break those things off and give us a fresh vision, Lord. Lord, help us to, to identify those people that you want us to speak into their lives, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you have commissioned us as ministers of reconciliation. Lord, that we are, we are called by your name, that we are sons and daughters of you and we represent you in this world, Lord. So Lord, help us to share to those around us, our coworkers, to our neighbors, to even those that live in our household, Father. Lord, use us to impart your, your ways to those around us. And Lord, I pray against 
fear. I pray against inadequacy. Lord, I pray against even excuses. Lord, let us be men and women who are called to go forth and do go forth in your name. And we honor you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. I want our prayer ministers to come forward this morning. If you need prayer, they are here to pray with you. We are dismissed.